so it is a pleasure to be with you again this morning. Um, we are looking at first, Second Peter 1, uh, 16 through 21. Um, let me pray, and then we'll begin our time again this morning. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your law. We need to see and hear what you would have to tell us in your word. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would help this body of believers. You would help me to see these things. Help us to understand that what you mean for us to see, we will see. You've made it clear. You've enabled us. And your Holy Spirit has illumined your people. And so may we look into your word, see what is there. May we see that it is the light shining in the dark place. And may we delight in what we see and behold the beauty of Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures. I pray that you'd help me to preach your word again this morning. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, two summers ago, I took my two young sons and we went to this park, this uh, park in Washington State where I'm from, and it has this cave. So we decided we'd go tour the cave. So we enter into this cave and we proceed to walk through all these beautiful rock formations. They'd installed lights in the cave so you could see all the different uh, formations, the way that it uh, is formed. It was beautiful. Uh, it was really hot outside, but the second we went down in the cave, it got really cool. Uh, and so we took 45 minutes walking 600 meters, uh, a total of 100 meters down into this cave. And we reach all the way down to this little platform, and uh, there's a number of us, there's a tour guide who's kind of introducing and telling us about uh, the cave and how interesting it is. And I thought, okay, great, well, that was fun. We'll go back up top. But then the tour guide says, well, there's one more thing I want to show you. And so she reaches over and hits this lever, pulls it down, and all of a sudden all the lights turn off. There's nothing. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. So instinctively, I grab you know, my two sons and I have them close with me. Um, I'm like, man, this is really scary. Can you imagine if the lights just turned off? How would you even get back out of the cave? And then our tour guide turned on this little pen light, right? This little light, she just twists on and shines it. And that little light illumined the entire cave. It pierced the darkness. Friends, darkness is terrifying. Being disoriented, not knowing which way is up or down, where to go, it is truly scary. And in that cave, if the lights had gone out and I had to rely on my own self to find my way out, it'd be a pretty harrowing experience. And brothers and sisters, the word of God is a piercing light in a dark place. The world is darkness. God's word is light. Without God's word, we are left disoriented, blind, helpless, vulnerable. We can't even rightly see our own selves. But praise be to God and the, the God uh, of our Father, um, Lord Jesus Christ, that he has given us a sure and steady light, one that blazes brightly, piercing the darkness. My aim this morning is to reignite your passion and zeal for this light, for the word of God itself. 
so that you may remember how sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary it is for your life. And I pray that you're encouraged this morning to pay close attention to the Word of God. For in it we see the glory of Jesus Christ revealed to us. So with that, I'm going to turn to 2 Peter 1, 16. 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do this morning is I want to point out three reasons why we must pay attention to God's word. The first, we must pay attention to God's word because it is trustworthy and true. Second, we must pay attention to God's word because it is sufficient and necessary. And number three, we must pay attention to God's word because it is clear and it is authoritative. Authoritative. So, The first reason we must pay attention to God's word. It is trustworthy and true. In our passage this morning, Peter reminds his readers that the gospel that he has been preaching, this revelation of Jesus Christ as the son of God, his power and his coming, they don't come from myths. So evidently there were some people in Peter's day who were thinking, Peter, what you're saying is not true. It's a made up story, right? Where did Peter get this idea of God coming down and becoming man. Did Peter just eat a bad shawarma, go to bed and have some weird dream about Jesus? Is this just a myth? A myth is a story without basis, in fact, a legend. Well, it does seem in Peter's day, there were a a few years after Jesus' ministry on earth, many people doubted the truth of the gospel. And the central focus of this letter, 2 Peter, is to refute the claims of these false teachers and to warn those who would listen to them. It appears that some of them claim that the account of Jesus' life and teachings were merely made-up stories. They're just bold claims. That Jesus, God's Son, came down to earth, took on human flesh. He walked on the earth performing miracles. He died crucified on the cross to bear the weight of the sins of the whole world. Three days later, he was raised again to new life. And he sent it into heaven and is reigning now at the right hand of the Father. And Peter has been sent to proclaim this truth to the world. So how does Peter answer his critics? What does he say to that? He says, I saw this glory myself. I am an eyewitness. He says, we are eyewitnesses. Well, who's the we that has seen this? We know from Matthew 17, 2, 
right? It was Peter, James, and John, the three of Jesus' closest disciples who went with Jesus up on a high mountain, and Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white. And not only that, our passage records that the voice of God himself, the majestic glory, spoke from heaven, saying in verse 17, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so Peter adds in verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, James, and John witnessed Jesus Christ transformed by divine power. He took on majesty and glory in Matthew 17. It says that Moses and Elijah accompanied him. And this is significant because Moses was the author of the Pentateuch. He's He's a symbolic representative of all of the law, right? And then you have Elijah, who's considered the greatest Old Testament prophet. And both of them come together and basically say Christ fulfills both of them. Both of these men are there showing Jesus' supremacy over all of Israel's past. In fact, Matthew 17, Peter was ready to make tents to worship these three together. This is the moment. This is the culmination of all of Israel's history, right? We've got to start building a tabernacle temple. We're going to start uh, the new wave of religion right here, right now. You've got to love Peter's zeal. But then they hear the voice of God from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And they are undone. They fall down in fear, trembling at what they just heard. So at first they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' majesty and glory as he's transformed and they see Moses and they see Elijah. But then they become ear witnesses of God's divine declaration. Jesus is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And for anyone questioning Peter with questions like, you know, where did you get this from? How is it that you came to understand Jesus' power, and this should be a sufficient answer. Peter and his disciples both saw it, and they heard it. They were present. They beheld these things happen with their own eyes. I know what you're thinking, Pastor, if I could go on that mountain and see Jesus transfigured, I too would believe My faith would be strengthened like it should. If I only heard the voice of God audibly from heaven, I would never doubt again. I would be the most vocal evangelist for God because then I would really know and see these things for real. I would be assured in my faith and my beliefs and I would have a better, more solid foundation, right? If you were there, don't you feel like all your doubts would just melt away if you could just see him transfigured in all his glory with the Father speaking at the same time? How many of you would have liked to have been there? You don't have to raise your hand. I know I would. Wouldn't it have been amazing? Aren't you sure it would have impacted your faith to witness that, to see those things, to hear what God spoke? But here's the thing. You and I can't do that. We can't go back in time. We can't go to the mountain and we can't see or hear audibly the voice of God in that moment. Friends, do you realize that 99.99999% of all those who have ever believed and trusted in Jesus have never seen him face to face? We've never heard the audible voice of God speaking from heaven. 
Maybe that's kind of depressing for you. What is it that we do have? Peter says that we have something even better. What could be better than seeing Jesus face to face? Friends, we have the final full revelation of God in our hands or on your device in all many different kinds of translations. You have the Bible. Verse 19 says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. More than seeing Jesus in person, more than hearing the very voice of God from heaven, you and I have this prophetic word written, fully finished for us. This prophetic word does refer to the written scripture. It's not just random prophecies or verbal prophecies given, prophecies given today as there are, some in, there are some in some charismatic circles saying that prophecy continues and we get new revelation from God. No, it's fully, finally complete here. So what does Peter mean by this word being more fully confirmed? Peter's saying, yes, I did see Jesus transfigured. I heard the voice from heaven. But then he's urging his audience that there's a better testimony. There's something more sure that you and I have. Why? Because we can go to it any time we need. And this whole scripture bears witness about Jesus. The Bible you're holding in your hand, the entirety of it is written to reveal God's great plan of redemption. It is the recounting of who God is and how he's revealed himself to us and how everything culminates in one person, Jesus Christ. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. So Peter is not counting on you and I to trust Peter's word alone or suggesting that every one of us has to hear the audible voice of God in order to be sure of Jesus and who he is. Instead, Peter's instructing us to take up and read and to listen to, to study, to memorize, to pay attention to the very voice of God here in our Bibles. You know, instead of looking to experiences, to feelings, to dreams, we must instead run to the written word of God. So how do we know that this book is not merely a long, clever myth constructed over years by a bunch of guys? Verses 20 through 21 says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nothing, not one ounce of scripture was produced by the will of man. Instead, they were carried along. They were led by the Holy Spirit to speak and to write only what God wanted them to speak and write. This is our doctrine of biblical inspiration. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God, which is where we get the term inspired. It is the very breath of God, the Holy Spirit, that worked in authors to write scripture so that every word of scripture is the word of God. So we say that the word of God is trustworthy and true, and so we must pay attention to it. Did God fail in giving us his word accurately as he meant to? No. It is God who intended to give us the word, and so we have it. Full, finally, sufficient, trustworthy, and true. So friends, I hope you see that the Bible that you have is not some inferior, untrustworthy, 
incomplete account of God's plan for redemption for your life. God did not accidentally leave us a Bible when he meant to give us more. God provided all that you need when he gave you the full revelation of his word. And just a few verses earlier in uh, 2 Peter, he says in verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All things. Scripture is fully sufficient to instruct us on who, get, who God is and how we are to live before him and how to know him. There's no other knowledge of God that you're going to find apart from his word. So our God meant for you and I to find out about who he is, to hear the gospel, to believe in Jesus from his word. So you probably heard, had somebody witness to you, tell you the gospel, tell you about Jesus, that's great. But everything they've said to you, anytime they've evangelized to you, anytime you've evangelized somebody else and told them the gospel, you're telling them on the basis of what? The word of God. Your declaration of the gospel to any person is true insofar it is accurate to the word of God. Right? So is my sermon. If anything I say sounds kind of fishy, don't believe it. Test it according to the word of God. So let me just remind you, make this point, as it helps you in your evangelism, as you are growing in your faith and you're thinking, where do I go? I want more of God. Friends, there is no other place where God has revealed his plans to us. This is one of the things that's unique to Christianity. There is no secrets of the Christian faith. Paul talks about secrets because he talks about the development of the history of redemption over time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's no mystical temple in which secret tablets are stored away in Christianity. If anybody's like, I want to know the true living God, you and I as Christians can go, you can go buy it anytime. I'll give you a copy. It's all right here. You don't have to pay crazy amounts of money to get it. You don't have to go through rituals. You don't have to go through pilgrimages. You don't have to go through this whole exercise of meditation. God gives it freely to his people. It's available, right? I mean, you have to pay a publisher. How many of us would easily and will be totally willing to pay whatever amount it is to put a Bible in somebody's hands? It is available. Friends, the Bible is all that you need, but you do need the Bible. You need the word of God in order to know how to live this life of godliness. To know that it's only by faith, by grace alone, that God saves sinners. So if you're here and you've never heard this before, you've never heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me speak it again. This is the central message of the scriptures. Christ came to earth to die on a cross to pay the penalty for you and me for our sin. Whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, will have eternal life. This is the pinnacle, the apex, the very point of the Bible. So if you're here and uh, you're not a Christian, and you're like, well, I'd like a Bible. Uh, will Drake told me he'd give you his nice leather one today, just so you'd have it, okay? I'm sure that uh, any of the elders here fellow members would help you get the scriptures. 
So you can ask about that. I'll give you this one today. This was a gift I think I gave to my son, and he has since cast it aside. So I'm happy to give you the word of God. So we've seen that the, we must pay attention to scriptures because it is trustworthy and true. We also must pay attention to it because it is sufficient and necessary. It is sufficient and necessary. Actually, sorry, we've covered sufficient and necessary. We're looking at the third reason. It is clear and authoritative. So since it is God who has spoken, revealing these things to us, and God, when he means to make clear to us his word, it will be clear. We know we can understand it. We know that it is also authoritative. Look at, Psalm, or look at uh, verse 19. It says, the prophetic word is more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Scripture is not unclear to you and I. It is written in intelligible human language. Some of you speak multiple languages. You may have an English Bible. You may have a Bible in your mother tongue, but you can understand it. It follows the normal uh, conventions of language that God himself has created. So God meant to communicate to you and I what he means to do and he's able to do. And so his word is clear to us. There are many people in this world who say, you know, I'm sure the Bible is, you know, your document, but it is not clear. You have to be very careful about that argument. You have to be very wary when somebody says this Bible is somehow not clear. Because what they mean to do is obfuscate. They mean to muddy the waters. They mean to say it's not clear. Therefore, my interpretation a particular way of approaching the Bible is somehow superior. And friends, don't believe that. You may think, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not trained. I don't have a Bible degree. I don't have gone to seminary. I'm not a pastor. Friends, you have what it takes as you're able to read to understand the Bible. His word also bears an authority. It bears an authority. I have a son. He's seven years old. He's our most energetic guy. His name is Asher. And uh, many times I tell him to come here, and sometimes he obeys, right? Most of the time. Uh, he is seven, though, so we're working on th- some things. But I am his father, and I have this God-given authority in his life to care for him, right? I have an authority that is actually from God himself, that as his father, I am to care for him and to help him. I got to tell him what to do. So my word spoken to my son Asher should matter to him as his dad. Friends, there's no more authoritative word in all of existence for us from God, our Father. Okay? I'm just a man, and I, yes, I have a son. With my wife and I, we created him, if you will. So yeah, he should listen to me. I mean, I pay for everything. I pay for his Pokemon cards. He's got to listen to me, right? But we have a Heavenly Father who is God himself. He is the highest of all beings, the greatest of all that ever existed. And he's created us. He owns us. And he's perfect. I'm not perfect. God is perfect. And so when he speaks, he has all authority. Tell me, if, at what point are we allowed to ever disobey our Heavenly Father, who is all wise, all good, all knowing, all powerful? Nowhere. We must obey God at all times. So the Bible in this very place that God has issued his commands, repent and believe in Jesus. This is his word to us. Believe 
Matthew 17, God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. So to treat Jesus as anything other than the son of God is to disobey God. To treat, to, uh, to not listen to, to heed, to not obey Jesus' instructions to us is to disobey our heavenly father. And this is why we're instructed in verse 19 that we will do well, again, to pay attention to this prophetic word. By the way, what, is this, what does this mean, pay attention? What does that mean? I mean, you can pay attention to a class. I'm, at, I'm preaching right now. I'm, hopefully you're paying attention to me, but what does that really mean? Well, this, in this context, it means to occupy yourself with or devote yourself to. We are to devote ourselves to the revealed, true, right authoritative, clear, sufficient, necessary word of the living God. It's more than just, okay, I'm gonna point my eyes over there. I'm gonna tune my ear into it. We're talking devotion. We're talking carving out other things in your life so that you would listen and hear. So let me ask you, take, take stock in your own heart right now. What do you believe about God's word? What aspect of the truth of God's word have you forgotten, minimized, marginalized, failed to practice, or failed to believe? Perhaps you came in this morning and you thought, you would have said to yourself, I hold an orthodox position on God's word. I believe it. But in practice, you failed to see God's word as sufficient, clear, necessary, and authoritative. What does the other media consumption say about your belief in the Bible? Are you watching YouTube, TikTok, social media, far more than giving your precious attention, of which you have a very limited capacity, to God's word? None of us always believe what we should about God's word, right? We are imperfect sinners, and in this world right now, until we get to glory, we're not going to fully Believe, we're not going to fully practice what we should believe, right? And that's why God's word instructs us as believers to gather each Lord's day, to hear the, the word preached to us again, to celebrate ordinances like baptism and communion as a regular practice of what is commanded in scripture. We are to do these things not as like a mere right. They are for our own good. They're the very means by which God means to remind us of how important his word is. I'm actually really blown away. This is the first time I've come to Sharjah. Grace Evangelical Church, Sharjah. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. The way that we even went through the service, the amount of scripture, the amount of explaining that scripture, the amount of trying to help you understand what God's word says is encouraging. I mean, I, Will Drake almost preached my whole sermon. I almost left and just said he did it, but I'm here. I, you know, so I'm encouraged by the amount of scripture I'm hearing and seeing in the very service itself. Friends, that's for your benefit, so that you would be encouraged, so that you would be built up. We are members one to another, and it's our job. It, be, it benefits us and benefits one another when we speak the word of God to each other. We are to teach and encourage one another, exhort one another as we spend time together. This is why we're also singing these, these, these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The word of God is supposed to richly dwell in our souls. We should talk about what we're reading in our Bibles after church. When we go and have lunch after the sermon, 
if with your kids, we should aim to encourage one another with God's promises. We should be humble with one another and confess that we have not prized God's word as we should. None of us do. It is true that the world is hostile to the word of God. In fact, the world would have you believe that the, the Bible is somehow dark and unknowable, obscure, hard to understand, right? That's what the world says, like you can't know the, this book. It's old, it's outdated. You can't trust its reliability. And friends, that's crazy. The Bible is the light shining in the darkness. It's through the Bible that everything else is seen and comes into focus. Out in the world is complete darkness. We're not yet fully in our heavenly kingdom. We know that the true light is the word of God now. And this light, the light of Christ, shines through the word. And someday Christ will come and the, the light will be everywhere. We'll be fully enlightened. There'll be no question between the light and the darkness. It'll be totally plainly evident. But that time has not yet come. Satan is still a roaring lion prowling about to devour Christians. And one of his most effective means of doing so is to attack your trust in the word of God. And this is what Satan did in the garden, sowing doubt in Eve's mind with the question, did God really say? When there is doubt in the trustworthiness of the word, then Satan is bold and he claims to know that God really commanded something else. Friends, you must be warned that when you go through trials, when you're maybe in sin, the word will seem like something that's not helpful to you. At first, you'll just kind of leave it on the shelf as you deal with things in your own way. But pretty soon, you'll believe in your heart, you'll practice, this is not the way to fix it, namely go into God's word. So let me warn you against shelving the word of God in the times of difficulties, your times of even fighting or struggling with sin. If you, in your relational conflicts, as you have a conflict with somebody in the church and you're, you're frustrated and you decide you're not gonna go to church, you are pushing yourself away from the very word of God. And friends, let me also remind you too that the world is full of false teachers. Anyone with a computer can make a snazzy video on YouTube calling on their viewers to question again what God has said. You know, I didn't realize until coming to the, the UAE, to Abu Dhabi, and talking to some of our members when they asked me questions about a YouTube video they watched, how much garbage there is on YouTube. It's insane, and it's somehow like hidden from me as a pastor, like the algorithm knows I'm a pastor and it's just like hidden. I don't see that stuff, but it is out there. And yes, there is an algorithm. These tech companies are designed to show vulnerable people what they think you're gonna wanna see. You start liking or wanting to see these prosperity, these false teachers, it will just keep bringing them right in front of you. And these are evil, distorting, damning videos. We've lost members of our church who've been carried away by false doctrine. It's sad. So ask yourself, is there unhelpful, unhealthy, media in your life, influencing you, questioning what you are devoted to, namely the word of God. 
Maybe it's time that you declared attention bankruptcy, that you do a massive delete, unsubscribe of everything. False teachers are beguiling because it seems like they have wisdom, they have a deeper truth, right? You may think that you can quietly entertain a false teaching while still kind of holding on to things over here, scripture and your your attendance and your belief uh, in trusting in, in Christ, but you are overestimating your own abilities of discernment. You are to run from false teachers and cling to truth. Friends, God has given us the light of his word. It is sure, more fully confirmed for us than any eyewitness account. We have the full completed revelation of Christ with us. You have in your hands all that you need to know. If you have the Bible, you've got everything. You've got all that you need to know on how to live your life. What's more is you have what the word creates, namely the church. We are to serve one another and help one another live out our lives together. You have to read it though. This is not a talisman. You can't stick it in your back pocket and assume that's gonna protect you as you just walk around. This has to be hidden in your heart. You've gotta pay attention to it, devoting yourself to it to read it. Now, we used to work at U.S. Bank, this bank in Oregon, and every day I would take a little pocket Bible with me to work. And I would take it, and I'd put it on my desk. And one time a guy came up to me and he said, hey, I just think that's really great that, you know, you bring the Word of God with you and you bring it to work. And at that point I realized, like, I bring it to work, but I'm not reading it. You know, I'm working, right? So don't, I shouldn't accept any kudos or glad congratulations that I have a Bible sitting there. The Bible's to be sitting on your heart, deep down. You're to pay attention, to be devoted to, to memorize it. Friends, if you're struggling today and you're like, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not doing that. It's hard. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know the Bible like I should. I've been coming to this church for two years. My pastors probably think I'm dialed in and everything's good but I am struggling as I try to understand the word. Friends, that's why we have one another. And the Lord has blessed you with elders, pastors, fellow members who would love to sit with you and encourage you and to show you how you can understand the Bible. Keep coming every Lord's Day with the body of Christ and hear the word spoken, preached, and then read as you spend your time scattered uh, back at home at work, take it up and read. I know that uh, any one of your pastors would love to walk you through that and help you understand, okay, what are the ways I can take the baby steps to begin to pay attention, to devote myself to the very word of God? Finally, friends, I want to leave you with a, a section from Psalm 19. If truly this is the word of God, it's been revealed to us and it's displayed to us that which is most beautiful, glorious, namely Jesus, how should we approach scripture? It's my prayer that the Lord would open the eyes of your heart and as you read this psalm slowly, and I encourage you to read Psalm 19 in its entirety, I pray that God would stir in your heart a delight for God's word. So let me close reading Psalm 19, seven through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help this body of believers, you would help me this morning to see that your word is the greatest treasure. In it do we see Christ, who is king, who rules over everything. In it do we see our own redemption. In it do we behold the love that we have received through Christ. May we run to it and taste. May we eat. May we devote ourselves to the scriptures. This is a lifelong process. It's not an easy one either. But I pray that you would sharpen the minds and the hearts of your people. That you would drive us to your word. As we know, many of the afflictions in our life, many of the sorrows, the difficulties that we go through, you purpose us to go through so that we would run to your word. So I pray that you would help the church now here to delight only and fully in the word of God. And may we glory in Jesus Christ as we see him every single time we open up our Bibles. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.